Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons. Thank you for your support of the show. You help make this episode possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn the number 2 dm. And remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information about Encircle and the awesome stuff that they do. And now, let's get to this week's guest intro. Cassie Mothwin, known as Countess Cassie Online, is a DM, streamer, horror enthusiast, and tabletop game designer. She's released an awesome supplement called What Crooked Roots, which I have used in my own home game and thoroughly enjoy. Cassie is also hard at work on another supplement called Clean Spirit, meant to be a one-shot or a good mid-campaign break for your players. It should be out soon, so go follow her for more updates. Enjoy! I am Cassie Mothwin, she, her. I am a person who is very interested in things horrifying, but also things that are soft and relaxing, as well as acting, role-playing, and improv, which is where everything uh, related to TTRPGs sort of comes in. So I learned about D&D in college. Back then, it was third edition, Uh which was a lot more math than I wanted in my make-believe. Especially as an English major, right? Like yes, you're yes. like, I, I, I'm doing this so I don't have to do math. Yeah. Precisely. So I uh, backed out of that. I saw the character sheet, got really overwhelmed and said, mm, maybe maybe not so much, maybe not for me. And back then I only thought D&D was the only kind of tabletop. And I think that's true yep. for a lot of people now. Yeah, they totally. think D&D is synonymous with tabletop RPG. So then uh, my brother really wanted to get into D&D and he is into the math stuff. A local board game bar was holding a how to play D&D thing, and I told him that he should go check it out. And he did. He came back and told us how much fun it was and that he was going to join a campaign. And then he kept telling me all these uh, wonderful stories. And then he told me that I should listen to Critical Role because it will give me a sense of what D&D is like. So I did that. And then he ran a one shot for me and my husband so we could get a sense of what it's like to play. And I've honestly been hooked ever since. And that was in 2018. And now I'm writing content for D&D. So (laughs) yeah, you and I started at very similar times then. Yeah. And similar times in our lives too, having already left college and and kind of moved Mm -hmm. on to the regular world. Well, I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah, very similar kind of origin stories. Were you kind of interested in running games from the get-go or did you prefer to play for a little while before you said, you know what, I want to try to do that? I was interested in running games for the get-go. And I think you mentioned I was an English major earlier. Uh I was an English writing major and then I got my master's in writing. I've always had an interest in telling stories And not that DMs tell stories, but they do help bring stories to life or provide a setting or stage. I I prefer the word stage for stories to really like shine and come to life with your friends, which is so much fun. So after my brother ran that one shot for us, I wanted to do it too. I had to try it. 
And I think it was a few months later, it was Easter weekend. So we had like an extra day off and I ran Death House from Curse of Strahd, which is really hard to fit as a one shot. I learned so much about how to run a one shot effectively. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed sort of weaving the story. And that's where I dove in on the horror immediately. My first uh, encounter with running horror and running D&D coincided. It was in my first session completely. That's awesome. Yeah, I I had played for a little while and said I'm going to write my own little one-shot thing and, and see how it goes. If I were to go back and do it again, I probably would have tried to run something published for my first time like you did. But to your point, there's some stuff that's published that is pretty high level and pretty complex. But yeah, you took a stab at it and it sounded like it at least stuck, you know, and, and everybody had a good time. Yeah. Like I said, there were some murders from me on accident, you know, just a, just a little. But then we brought him back because I you can do that as a DM. Just be like, it was you know, divine intervention. <laughs> But yeah, Death House is famous for being incredibly difficult to survive, which I didn't know. I thought it was just a haunted house. So do your research. (laughs) You didn't know what you didn't know, right? You didn't know that it was going to be so deadly. You didn't know like what challenge ratings. I mean, maybe you did, but like knowing how to balance stuff, it takes years. And sometimes, I don't know, a lot of times people still- Do you want to know a secret? Yes. I still don't know how to balance things. (laughs) Yeah, it's- I mean, you you mentioned this when you were talking with Nathan on Reckless Attack, that you are not super hung up on the rules and the mechanics. You're more interested in the story. And that's definitely a style, right? And it is a style that has merit, just like the super crunchy rules lawyer Mm -hmm. style has merit for certain tables. So yeah, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And um, your supplement that we'll talk about later definitely leans heavily on the story aspect above kind of like mechanics and rules like how is this all gonna work it's like you know what you as a dm you'll figure it out yeah and like i don't shirk mechanics or rules or anything so to speak i just try to create fights or encounters or combat that uh, helps my player shine and usually i probably undersell that undersell the combat a little bit I don't know. I I play games where I don't necessarily want my players to die or my characters to die. That's not to say I don't want them to be in stressful situations, but at the end of the day, I want them to shine as heroes. So that's hopefully where the design comes in. Yeah, I think it definitely does. And most people who are running games out there can figure out how they're going to take whatever they're reading and make it into the type of game they want to run. So I feel like sometimes we try to handhold DMs and GMs a little too much, where it's Mm -hmm. just better to give them freedom and let them figure it out for better or for worse. You know, you mentioned you may have done a few murders during your first go at DMing. What are some of the big mistakes you feel like you've made running games that you would uh, tell other people to try to avoid? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do have a few. Okay. So the first one is being flexible. My first time running Death House, I've run it a few times. By the way, I think there are better modules out there. Me running it many times does not mean that I endorse it. Mm. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I've run it many times. And the first time that I ran it, I was very inflexible. I was glued to the module. I didn't know you could divert from the module or change what order things were in or delete monsters or add monsters. I thought you had to do exactly what the project says. And I'm sure many of your listeners will know that you should do what you want to make things memorable for your group, delete things, add things, change them up, mix them up. 
But yeah, that was one of the first hurdles I had to overcome was knowing that, oh, I have freedom and I have control. I can do whatever I want. If I just want the maps out of this, I can just use the maps. Yeah. People do that all the time, right? I buy stuff all the time and essentially use it for parts, you know, find what I like, discard the rest and bolt it onto my current campaign and drive away and call it good. That's another thing that I feel like DMs are really good at and people kind of worry like it needs to be all cohesive and this and that. And and sometimes it's just better to, to give them something to run with. That's great advice. And uh, something, like you said, that takes a little bit of time to kind of get a hold of. But once you do, you definitely hit a rhythm, mm-hmm. especially with your players. You kind of all hit a rhythm together and then you really get a feel for what they're interested in and, and can kind of focus on that stuff. Right. The other one is something I'm still, I'm mostly saying this to myself and it's think about monster strategy <laughs> ahead of time. I'm very good at reading stat blocks before combat encounter, but then I'm bad at thinking about, and I know a lot of folks enjoy this, but as we discussed, I do play D&D more for a story development. And I know mm-hmm. there are other uh, systems that are potentially better for that, but I also enjoy a lot of the magic and, and the creatures that D&D offers. But I am not the greatest at developing strategy for those monsters, and I'm still working on it. There are a lot of great resources out there to help create better strategies for monsters. But I think that's my biggest one is, especially if you're planning a boss fight, think about what your boss is going to do in the first, second, and third rounds. And even though your players aren't necessarily going to do what you predict, think about what how they might react and what abilities they might use and how your boss can maybe counteract those or set up a place where your characters can shine using those abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's a lot for like beginner DMs, GMs. And I've been doing this two to three years and I still haven't figured it out. So... It's constantly a learning process. It is. I would be remiss if I didn't plug here uh, Keith Amon's book, uh, The Monsters Know What They're Doing. That's exactly what I was thinking about when I said there's tons of resources out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whenever I don't know what to do, I I go flip through that book. Mm -hmm. Or I'll flip through the monster manual and then that book or something like that. Lots of good inspiration there. Cool. So how about the really good and fun parts from games that you've had really memorable moments that everybody laughs about still, or, or talks about, you know, the kind of the epic or legendary stuff that's happened in your games. Okay. So a really great moment in my curse of Strahd campaign happened in what we sort of refer to as our mid season finale, because we had to take three or four weeks off. I can't quite remember afterwards for life things, but we had an elf in our campaign who it was pretty old, not like old, old, but old compared to the other characters in the party. And before the events of our Curse of Strahd game, she had had a husband and his daughter about 70 to 100 years earlier, and she had abandoned her husband and her daughter. Well, her husband had gone searching for her those 100 years or so prior with the daughter, and they had ended up in Barovia, mm. unbeknownst to my player's character. And as my players were sort of like looking around Velaki, meeting the characters in Velaki, uh, they kept hearing this name that was familiar to them. And when they went into a house to meet this family that had this name that was familiar to them, all of a sudden it was revealed that this daughter had grown up, had gotten older, and appeared and was mad at her mother. And we ended the session right at the reveal. And it was just so... Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those 
like a reality show where it's like Mm -hmm. the daughter walks in behind the mother and she turns and looks and then, yeah, anyway, that's exactly what it reminds me of. And I was so nervous it wasn't going to work out because it really hinged on if this character, her name was Namalia, she was given a choice, go to the church or go to this family house and meet this family. And I was so nervous she was going to go to the church. Uh And last minute she's decided, I'm going to go meet this family. I'm curious about this. And she had no idea at the time that her daughter would be there or was related in any sense. So it was just such a great reveal. And we ended the session at there. And oh, my God, it was just so beautiful. (laughs) I live for those moments. (laughs) And then the other moment was in my Tomb of Annihilation campaign, there is this grung camp. And I don't want to give too much away, but it is just this amazing quest where you have to woo a grung, essentially, into falling in love with a goddess grung if you want to do it non-combat. And my party did manage to woo the grung king of this society. And they decided last minute they wanted to cause problems and started dropping fireballs everywhere. So then to escape, they all jumped in the bag of holding with just their heads sticking out and decided to have the Eric Hochran party member fly them out. But they wanted the crown the king was wearing, so they mage-handed it off the king and then flew off into oblivion while this grung camp was still smoking in flames. And to this day, we wonder how the grung camp is doing <laughs> with this <Jeez. laughs> just like, it's chaos. It's chaos. I don't even know how to summarize that story effectively, but I promise it's funny. <laughs> That's a lot that is happening. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> It does sound like it would be really funny. I think that it's the ridiculous moments that kind of make you laugh the most, right? Yeah. I had a player, he's my little brother, who snagged a bunch of potions from this like magic school. So they're all student potions. So you don't really know what's going to happen. And I had this D100 oh, table. Nice. And uh, half of him turned into a cabbage because he only ate half of, or he only drank half of the potion, you know? And so it's, it's just stupid stuff like that. You're like, yes. I don't know how to describe to you why it's funny, but it was funny. Trust me. It, you know? yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. All right. So again, this is another question you kind of answered with Nathan, but I want to put a different spin on it. He kind of asked you like, who do you look up to in general? But I want to know who you look up to as far as like running games goes, you know, who are the DMs that you have, watched or listened to the most of or who you um you know try to pick up little things that they do uh to add to your own game so first of all nathan like (laughs) i have learned so much listening to reckless attack it has really changed my philosophy on creative or sorry collaborative uh, storytelling in D&D. I just love the way he invites his players to build out the world, or if they walk into a building, describe what's in the building. It always felt like something I had to do as a DM. So hearing uh-huh. him say, uh, Sophie, Val has entered the library. This is her favorite place. What does she see? Is just so eye-opening from just a, a game running perspective. Nathan does a lot of things really well, but I will just always respect him for introducing me to that sort of philosophy of game running. It doesn't work in my Curse of Strahd campaign because everything has to be so prescriptive, like it's very scripted. But in any future campaign I run, I'm really, I'm going to take that approach because it just seems so much fun and it really invites players to be more invested because they're building the world as well. Other DMs that, uh, or GMs that I really like, I think 
the twice bitten the whole crew i think dragna carta did a great job but i think the whole crew really brought a lot to the table uh on the twice bitten podcast which was one of my first actual play podcasts outside of critical role which i only listened to a few episodes of critical role and i mean everybody knows they they're amazing actors but they're professionals so the twice bitten crew did a really good job and i learned a lot about just running the game because uh dragna carta is really good about explaining the rules as they played um those are two that i've i've learned a lot from cool cool yeah it's kind of a an intimidating thought to run a game for a bunch of people who've run that game right like Mm -hmm. but at least you know they're gonna be they're gonna work with you but yeah i mean it's intimidating for that to happen i feel like the whole time I'd be like, ooh, would they do this differently than me? You know, like, I don't know. It's a lot to take on. But yeah, Dragon Carta does a great job. Welcome to Arius and meet the Ram Pack and Party Advantage, a D&D play podcast. Join Manny, Garrus, Roshin, and Tagoro as they travel the vast lands and learn long-forgotten secrets and find themselves in all kinds of shenanigans. So what are we doing? Drugs. We did that in season one already. Did we? Well, you did. Yes. <laughs> Tagoro got a taste for him. Oh, God. I, I, I'm now the personal healer and I have to take care of Manny. Well, I mean, your, your girlfriend was the personal healer more than you. Remember? I'm a dragon. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, last time you were a dragon, it didn't go so good. Let's not repeat, okay? Xnay on the Dragnay. Got it? Tune in every other Wednesday on all your favorite podcast platforms of choice and on YouTube. Will the party find the advantage on their next encounter? Only one way to find out. See you then. And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Let's start off with Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. Listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com now. And lastly, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Are you a podcaster or video content creator who loves making awesome content but wishes you spent less time editing and more time doing the things you love? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online to see their awesome rates and editing offerings. Buy a few hours a la carte or purchase bulk hours for larger projects. Let them tackle the boring stuff so you can get back to making more awesome content. Check out the links in the episode notes for both podcasters and video creators. And now let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new mini game for season two. on Quickfire Chaos, Cassie and I are going to build a folk horror scenario from some of the settings and ideas we'll generate randomly online. All right. Are you ready for some oh Quickfire Chaos? I'm so excited for this. <laughs> cool. I was thinking we could pick some um, random like settings and you could tell me what kind of interesting folk horror thing you would throw at a party. 
in that place with that kind of theme. All right, I'm going to start clicking, Cassie, and you're going to tell me when to stop. And when you say stop, I'll tell you and the listeners what the theme and setting are, and then we can think of a way to weave folk horror into the setting, all right? Okay. Okay, great. I'm going to start clicking now and just say stop. Stop. The theme is forgiveness. We could give or take the theme. Uh, The setting is space opera. So epic story spanning planets and galaxies, uh, usually big good versus evil themes, but can have a lot of smaller, weirder stuff like, you know, uh, going to a swamp planet and finding a small green person with long ears that teaches you the mystical ways of this force that connects all beings. So, you know, there's there's some kind of like weird folksy things that could happen. I think we're going to narrow the scope a little bit on space opera. Yes, please take all of the <laughs> latitude you need. All right, roll uh, for me now a d10, and we will choose the character goals that they might be working toward when they encounter this. Six. Never be hurt again. So forgiveness, never be hurt again, space opera. Okay. I can see some lines connecting things. All right, walk us through uh, what you're thinking, Cassie. Okay, there's a crash Ooh. on a planet, uh-huh. right? So we remove Classic. a little bit of the space opera. We're going to narrow narrow our landscape here. Um, what caused the crash? A rogue rogue religion caused the crash. Motivations questionable. Maybe that hasn't been discovered yet. Um, but they sabotaged the spaceship, and a few folks were able to uh, redirect, reroute onto this strange planet, and the crash. Many casualties. Yeah. They're still, they're still NPCs uh, alive. But on the planet, there are a lot of strange alien artifacts. Uh, strange monuments, strange standing stones. Standing stones Ooh. are a big folksy thing. When they get close to the standing stones, they hear crying. As if someone is trapped inside. It sounds like someone's trapped inside, and there are a lot of these standing stones... They are not much larger than a human body, maybe someone less than seven feet tall. Maybe they're between five and seven feet tall, all scattered around, um, some in groups, some isolated. They do seem to form a trail, and you can see, I could see these astronauts or these space people, or aliens, depending on our opera of sorts, maybe following this trail. And somehow it ties back into this cult religion that crashed the spaceship. The standing stones were sending a signal to the cult religion. I say cult religion because depending on the world, who knows? Yeah. That they needed to they needed to crash the ship there to free the lost ones. Another thing of folklore is there's a lot of nebulous, right? There's a lot of things that aren't explained. So we don't know mm-hmm. what the lost ones are or who the lost ones are. But the, these people, a part of this religion, knew they had to do this, and they committed to it, even though they knew it would be their ending. And by doing so, they knew they would get forgiveness from the Lost Ones. Ah. Now, I'm not sure how far we want to go with this, but the never be hurt again, I think that as those who fell on this planet walk and trace these standing stones they'll slowly start to realize the planet is holding them in place. Uh, and the the stones are growing around them. 
So then they will become in the standing stones. and They're like hallucinating that they're walking and then all of a sudden they realize yes. they are a stone. And then they start yeah. screaming and their scream is trapped inside the stone. I love it. I love it. Oh, I get, I'm getting like tingles on my spine. <laughs> this is so cool. Okay. Awesome. That is exactly what the game is about. I don't know where you can put that in a game. I think it could just be like a weird encounter folk story. Like the space opera part you explained with the crash, right? But it could be any number of things that leads people to a grove of a bunch of stones that are screaming at them, right? So, oh, I love it. I don't know what old weird sci-fi movies you've seen, but that reminded me of a couple. I was so nervous. I wasn't going to deliver. I was like, just keep talking and something will make sense. (laughs) It made total sense. Oftentimes it doesn't explain why, you know, it's just like a bunch of people on Reddit speculating and that's kind of the extent that it goes to, right? That's the fun of it. Cool. So let's transition now to what Crooked Roots. So we've talked about a couple times, but yes, uh, what Crooked Roots is your folk horror supplement for 5e and other systems, should you so choose. Where did the idea and inspiration come for what Crooked Roots and then what was your research and writing and playtesting process like until you felt like you had something that you were proud of that you could release? Going back to Curse of Strahd, <laughs> I ran a survey for my players at our six-month mark, which if you're a DM and you really want to deliver good content for your players, like ask them what they're looking for in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to just do a survey because I am an overachiever. And one of them was, are there any genres of horror that you feel like we haven't explored that you want to explore more. And the overwhelming consensus was they wanted to explore more folk horror. So there is quite a bit of folk horror in Curse of Strahd. We just hadn't unlocked that chapter. But I still decided that, oh, you know what? Maybe I should do some research on some good folk horror encounters. So I hopped in the Curse of Strahd Discord on Reddit and did some searching. And I couldn't find anyone using the terms folk horror, encounter D&D, like nothing like that. Interesting. Like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. Uh, it was originally going to be just like a quick, like one sheeter, like roll a d20 and that's the encounter. But I couldn't get it all to fit in a table. Like right away, I was writing three paragraphs per encounter and I decided, well, this is going to be a lot bigger than I intended. And I think that's because, um, and I haven't talked about this in other interviews, I grew up in the middle of nowhere at the end of a dead-end road, multiple dead-end roads. Um, My mom loved to live in the rural, um, so I'm very familiar. I'm very comfortable with being isolated, and I sort of saw myself as like a cryptid, so to speak. You know what I mean? (laughs) I know that's sort of silly. I was the lone child running around in the woods, and I I thought I was so cool and unique and mystical. So I think a lot of my inspiration sort of comes from being alone myself and just imagining what might be watching me, you know, up in the trees where I can't quite see. So that's where a lot of like the subtle influence comes from. The other influence comes from a lot of the research I did, which you which you did ask about. And oh my gosh, (laughs) I did a lot of research. So in addition to watching the folk horror movies that always pop up when you talk about folk horror, which are the Wicker Man, the non-Nicolas Cage version, Midsummer, uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, tons of others. In addition to watching those, the documentary that came out, I think it was last year about folk horror, reading a bunch of folk horror texts. Uh, I was also just scouring the internet for weird stories from the woods. So while I didn't, I didn't steal anything specifically, I drew a lot of inspiration from all over the place. 
Uh, I inhaled inspiration in about two weeks. Like I watched all these movies. I read all these things. Uh, Hyperfocus is fun sometimes. (laughs) I wouldn't know what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) And then I spent a lot of time writing. When it comes to playtesting D&D, I think it's pretty safe to not go overboard because you're not playtesting a new system. You're just Mm playtesting like encounters. I pretty much just ran them and I felt confident that they don't have a lot of skill checks. They're pretty narrative driven. They're not really combat driven. So I didn't think they needed too much playtesting. I mostly wanted to make sure they made sense to other people who read them. So while I did run them and make sure that, or not make sure, but just sort of tested the waters with how players might react to certain things, I mostly ran it by other GMs to see if they understood what I was going for or what questions they would have if they were trying to run it. And I think Mm. from a D&D perspective, and since it was not combat focused, that was totally fine. If it was more combat focused, I would have gone more into playtesting. But no one's told me they've had problems with the lack of playtesting. So <laughs> uh, it seems to have gone over okay. Yeah, that's a, a very interesting point that I hadn't really thought about. I've only ever written like the one mini TTRPG with Caltrop Core. So I haven't done a lot of playtesting or like writing stuff that I feel like should be playtested. You made a very interesting point in saying that you spent time running it by people who would be running it and making sure that it made sense to them. And yeah, that's something I hadn't considered, but it does make a lot of sense. Like the first step before you play test is to do that. Like make sure that everyone knows what you're saying and what they're mm-hmm. doing. At the end of the day, it, it's not for players. It's for GMs. Yeah. So I yeah. want to make sure that they know what they're getting into. <laughs> exactly. Great idea. You talked about kind of identifying a lot with folk horror because of the way you grew up and that kind of thing. But as far as like your love for horror, where do you think that kind of came from? And what are some of your favorite examples of folk horror out there if they aren't the movies and stuff that you already listed? So why do I like horror? That's such a good, complicated question that I have been struggling to answer for months now. I just think it's fun. Why do you like podcasting? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, well done there. Just turning it on me. I like interviews because I really like sitting down and getting to know somebody with a a kind of structure like this. I feel like sometimes when we have conversations with people that you meet, it goes whatever way it's going. But with an interview, I can ask specific questions I'm interested in and kind of get to the meat of of what I'm interested in with a person. So that's probably why I do interviews. Podcasting, I kind of just stumbled into it. So I couldn't tell you (laughs) other than I like listening to them. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, for horror, I like being scared when it's safe. I like, I used to like roller coasters. I'm older now and my body doesn't like roller coasters as much as my mind does. But I like living dangerously in safe, you know, like from my couch, you know? (laughs) In in a harness. Yeah, or on your couch. Yeah. What about uh, haunted houses and that kind of thing? I do love a haunted house. I try to go to a haunted house at least once a year. With COVID, it's been kind of difficult to yep. make things happen, but I still try to go because I do love it. I don't know if you caught my scary stream plug, another one might be coming up, but I get spooked really, really easily. So it's just really fun for me to be scared. Mm. Uh, I know what the scary stream was. I apologize, but I've watched you play the game where you're a cat walking around at a party and the name is escaping me. But anyway. that, that wasn't the scary one. 
<laughs> when I hit 2,000 followers, I did a scary stream and it was so much fun. It I was scared out of my mind and I made it so that viewers could interact and also try to scare me by redeeming points. That's how Twitch works. And at 3,000 followers, I'm going to do another one. It was really fun. I can send you the YouTube video. You can just watch a clip because it's that's all you need is like a second to see how crazy it was. I will post it in the episode notes so everyone can oh, go God. <laughs> I doubt others will be interested in watching it, but it, it, it was fun for me. I enjoy being scared. I think it's fun. Favorite examples of folk horror. I think my most favorite modern example, and I did mention it earlier, is Midsummer. Uh, mm. It comes with a slew of content warnings. And I've only been able to watch it once because I found it upsetting in a weird, horrific way the first time I watched it. Um, and I've just read about it since because it's right. just so good. I think it does a great job of exploring how scary people can be. I mean, the whole movie is set in the daytime. Uh, there are some dark portions, but it doesn't really rely on darkness or jump scares. It really relies on how scary and monstrous humans can be. And mm. I think that at the heart of it, that's what a lot of folk horror is. I mean, that's where the folk comes from, is the people and what people can do to you. Yeah. I'm in the middle of or I, I'm almost done with Breaking Bad. I don't know if you've seen it, but I get... It's been on my list for years. You'll you'll get there, but it's not necessarily folk horror, but it makes me feel a similar way where I'm like, I'll never watch this again, but I, I can't take my eyes away. And it is, it's similar, like the terrible things people will do to each other. Anyway, I actually haven't seen Midsummer. I probably should. I have seen a few of like Jordan Peele's stuff that I feel like people kind of put in a similar bucket. Anyway. Oh yeah. I would definitely say get out can definitely fall into folk horror for sure. I'm sure you could argue a lot of different things are a lot of different types of horror. Oh right? yeah. The sub genres of horror, they do so much crossover. I'm here for it though. What has been some of your favorite feedback you've gotten from people who are playing or using what crooked roots? And also is there like story someone's told you about when they used it in their game that, that you want to share with us? I was really surprised that the favorite encounter of What Crooked Roots is the Beekeeper encounter. And uh, spoiler, if your GM is going to run it for you at some point, but I'm going to give a brief overview. So the beekeepers are two beekeepers, but they're actually queen bees wearing beekeeper suits. It's a whole magical thing. It's kind of not explained, really. But they need help from the party to light a pyre for their son, who was murdered murdered, killed in a bear attack. If the party doesn't help, they are given honey and the honey will give them botulism if they eat it at some point. And I was recently watching a stream of a party who had encountered the beekeepers. They didn't want to help them. The beekeepers gave them honey. And a couple streams later, during a fight when they were all very low on HP, they decided to try the honey and it did not go well. And it was delightful. <laughs> So you got to witness it. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's, that's even better. It was better. really fun. Who, who was it? Just so uh, people can go check it out. That was uh, Jack John Games, I think. I can um, I can give you their YouTube channel if you yeah. want to put that in the notes. They have the whole, I think it was four episodes uh, all up on YouTube now. Yeah, the Beekeepers was a, a really good one. Yeah, any other feedback that you've really liked getting that's been fun to hear? Uh, I've heard some people have been running through the whole book, which is crazy. Like, that's what Jack John Games did. Um, they did the whole book. They ran it as a small, like, mini campaign, which I did when I playtested it. But it's bewildering to me to hear that other people are doing that. 
but people just like it. And that's that's the feedback I've been hearing uh, so far. One thing that I have heard is that some of the encounters aren't divergent enough. Um, like they don't offer enough, like if this happens, do this, or if this happens, do oh, this. Oh, I see. But I think my response to that is it's an encounter book. So, you know, I try to keep some short, some long. So I can't predict everything the party might or might not do. Yeah, there's no way you're going to predict what other people's parties are going to do if you yeah. can't predict what your party is going to do. Yeah. <laughs> the other encounter that was really popular was the egg one, which is a pretty simple encounter, but provides origins for, I think it's black goo, black pudding. I think that's what it is. Uh, black pudding. Yeah, I've got a yeah. black pudding. Very cool. I got to ask. So you did all of the art yourself as well. I had a little bit of help from my husband. He did uh-huh. the beekeeper art. He did the snake art, and then he did the bag, the, like, bag of something, question yeah. mark? Um, but yes, the rest is me. I guess I can kind of tell two distinct styles, so that makes sense to me. I love your style. I love the, like, the patterns, and I don't know how to describe it. It's very meticulous, and it's very intentional, but also very evocative. I was trying to replicate, I think his name is Richard Wells. Yeah. He's a pretty popular folk horror artist. Um, a lot of more modern posters use his art. So it feels very synonymous when you see it. I hope my stuff is synonymous with some of his work. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. It's definitely not as intricate as his, but I also was trying to evoke that sort of like wood press style. Yes. It's not perfect, but I did my best. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a lot of a book I had to read in English class, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, with all of the um, the wood carvings. I don't. There's a word for it. It's not yeah, carving. There's a word. But the tapestry is like my favorite piece. It's a big favorite. Yeah. And I gotta know, are you gonna make your own tapestry of this? Slash, do you have one in your house? Because that'd be really cool. Like. I've been trying to figure out how I can print this on something and hang it you up on can my wall. Get it on Redbubble right uh-huh. now as a tapestry. I think it's, as a tapestry. I mean, it's like a, it's like this, like it's a little, you know, cheap tapestry. It's not embroidered or anything, and it's kind of expensive, but it's definitely there. If you join my Patreon, I know, I know. Sorry for the plug. I'm going to be uploading the file in the biggest format I have, and uh-huh. then you can download that in front of wherever. Cool. Yeah, it reminds me of back in the day when I was going in and out of a lot of dorms and apartments and stuff in college and people had these these crazy tapestries on their wall. So, so cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm really surprised by how much people like it because I didn't think it was very good. I think it's just okay. I'm not an artistic person. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a drawer or a painter. So this to me is like perfection. Anyway. Well, thanks. So you you turned out what Crooked Roots in three months-ish? Three months. And I did all of it. I did all the writing. I did most of the illustrating, as we talked about. I did the layout. I hired a proofer because I feel like if you want to have a polished product, you have to hire someone other than you to read it. (laughs) And she also served as a bit of a copy editor. She was amazing. But other than that, yeah, it was all me for those three months. And I did all the marketing and I made all the marketing materials. Which I know is true for a lot of people in the space. Yeah, but there's a lot of people who are publishing who like just lean on other people to help publish stuff. So it took three months. And as you were done, 
you said, all right, I'm going to wait a while until I tackle something this big again. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, do you have anything planned or in the works right now that you can share with us? So yes, I decided that I had to have a little reckoning with myself after I did that and basically coach myself and say, you cannot do that again. It was not healthy. I'm happy you did it. I'm proud of you for making it happen because I really wanted to get it out by Halloween Uh and it, it didn't happen, which is fine. So I was like, take December off. It's your birthday month. It's, you know, it's a holiday month. Take it off. And I couldn't. So I started working on um, a solo journaling RPG that is going to be vampire themed, vampire romance themed. It's still quite a ways away. It's very big. It's going to be very long, bigger than what Crooked Roots. Um, and it will also have a lot of illustrations. So that will probably release around Halloween of this year. But I have something else coming out soon. Uh, that is in playtesting right now, and that is called Clean Spirit, and it is my kind of system agnostic role-playing game. I was able to work it into my D&D game pretty easily, and I've heard other people are able to play it isolated, so doing one-shots with it. So we're still mm-hmm. working on tweaking it some, but one of the playtesters said it, it's uh, Marie Kondo meets <laughs> tabletop oh. RPG, so... <laughs> okay. It's a collaborative tabletop RPG where essentially you're going, you work together to explore relationships, explore yourself, explore what matters to you and uh, what matters about what's important to you in your dwelling as you clean it. So the cleaning part is the stage while you're really exploring your relationships with your other party members. Okay, so it's meant to be played as uh, characters, not as yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Got it, I mean, got you it. could play it as yourself. What would be really fun is if you role-played someone else that you know. <laughs> it would be. This is probably coming out the last week in June. So will that have been out by then or not based on your current predictions? Mm, that's tough to say because I'm not sure if I want to get it printed. I'm yeah. still weighing the pros and cons of do I want to try to crowdfund? Do I want to uh, just... So you're thinking about it, maybe. Yeah. So that if I do get it printed, that will push release, I think. If you want more information about Clean Spirit, follow my Twitter or visit my website. I'll be talking about it a lot. So I'm sure you'll see something. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Have you uh, thought of a tagline yet? And if not, may I humbly submit, it smells like clean spirit. I feel like that's a... a That's actually where the name came from. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So originally it was a placeholder name. I was just looking, I was just sort of sourcing different words. And I found a Pinterest that was a, I think it was a boys room, like board artwork thing that said it smells like clean spirit. I was like, oh, clean spirit. That's nice. I'll just placeholder title. But then my husband said, no. I like it. That's the title. Make it the title. <laughs> so it's stuck. <laughs> there you go. If you change it, then I guess uh, I'll know that that you hated my suggestion. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that then. So to kind of wrap things up here, I'd love to hear one or two things that you would give as advice to people running games out there. And then uh, I'd love to hear a couple of things that you would recommend to people who are thinking about or are in the midst of working on personal projects that they want to publish uh, like you have. Oh my gosh. Okay. Be flexible in whatever you're doing. It can be really hard to let go of the reins of whatever story you want to tell, but letting players and your friends sort of lead the way can be extremely rewarding. It's hard, but it's, it's really fun. 
And don't spend a ton of money on minis right away because you won't need them and you won't find space for them and they will just end up in a box that you never touch. (laughs) If you are going to buy minis, figure out an organization system early. (laughs) That's my big advice because I'm struggling. We are struggling right now to figure out our mini storage situation because we can never find the mini we need when we need it. And then if you're making a project, what I think you should tell yourself is if you're putting off visiting family, doing something else, working out, going for a walk, you need to step away. That is my big advice because it's it can be so easy to get sucked in and weighed down by what you think is so important about this project, but it's it should be a hobby. It should be fun. And the second you lose yourself in working too hard, you're going to lose the magic in the project anyway. So take breaks. Please take care of yourself. It's not just about drinking water. It's about nourishing your friendships and relationships as well. Those are very important. Mm. Yeah, don't let the rest of your life suffer because of it, right? You got to find that balance. It's a constant struggle for me because I love creating Um, But I have to, you know, I have to coach myself. I actually have a timer on my desk and I try to set it to tell myself when to stop working. I know a lot of people set it to tell them when to work, but I have to set it so I can remind myself to get up and walk around and look away from the computer screen and do something. It's just so good to refresh your mind. Look outside, watch the birds, you know. Great, great advice. Well, Thanks so much for coming on, Cassie. It's been great chatting with you. Uh, like I said, What Crooked Roots has been really fun to read. I love the art. love the work you put into it. I've already thrown Born of Fire, one of the encounters at my party. I've got plans to weave in a few more others, but it's just given me a ton of ideas about ways to kind of make the countryside weird and dangerous because, you know, why not throw some stuff out there and, and spook so your party and yourself? That's so delightful to hear. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for reading my book. Thank you for running, like, even one encounter. Like, holy cow, that's awesome. So where can people find What Crooked Roots and then when uh, Clean Spirit and your journaling game come out? Yeah, where can people kind of keep track of what you're working on and where can they find the stuff you finished? Well, I have this handy-dandy website, CassieMothwin.com, where you can find uh, links to my products uh, as well as like my printed products. Uh, I mentioned that some of my artwork is on Redbubble. As well as reviews for solo TTRPGs, I've been playing a lot of those. So if you haven't played one, you should totally check out my blog and try one out. They're super fun. And you can also follow me on Twitter for the most up-to-date things on where I am at in my games. Uh, I yell a lot on Twitter, so feel free to (laughs) say hi. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Cassie. It's been a long time coming, but uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation, really enjoyed chatting about your work and what makes you tick and, you know, your, your philosophies running games. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, it was, it's been really fun. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate your patience with scheduling this. So... Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. And now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, JR, the DM of a new all-Filipino actual play stream called Roll of Cool. Funny enough, for me it's always player death. Not that, like not like I like killing the the the, the PCs, obviously, but it's like right. if if you get to a point where players accept 
their player death and they're like at peace with it it's it's weird like it's kind of saying goodbye to the character and like it's hard to describe but it's like if if you get to a point where your players are okay with it and they appreciate it it's a good feeling of course it's the other way around where if someone's just pissed at it happening <laughs> then you know that it's the complete opposite but yeah <laughs> To hear more about how JR got into streaming and what it's been like to start an actual play stream from the ground up, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping the show grow. Thank you to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.